Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. I trust that you have been tuning in regularly. Uh, last week I had with me on the program my oldest son, Jeremy, who is the pastor at Word That Frees in Winchester, Virginia. Uh, there will be some information on the screen as to their website and how to contact them. They meet at the Woodsman of the World building in Winchester, uh, uh, Virginia. I believe it's off of Boundary Road, I believe is correct. And uh, you, you, you owe it to yourself to go by on a Monday night and hear Jeremy preach, teach, and, and uh, they, they have planted a church there, and you, you'd be blessed to be going there. It's great to have you on the program again, Jeremy. Good to be here. And uh, Jeremy's a very able minister, in my opinion, of the New Covenant. And once again, we, we believe in being generational because I believe that, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is from families, and these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so I'm just absolutely thrilled that my two sons and their families pursue the things of God like they do. It's a great joy to share with them in the ministry. And uh, I want you to get used to seeing Jeremy because we believe that this is generational. And if I'm not on the program, he may be hosting one day. So uh, yeah, I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. But nevertheless, we want to make sure you get used to uh, at least seeing him. But uh, last week, we started to talk about the gospel of the kingdom. We're going to continue to talk about the gospel of the kingdom because I believe it's a missing piece. Uh, very, very, very much needed uh, right now. And once again, when I say the gospel of the kingdom, a lot of different things speak to different people. Uh, when you read the gospels, for instance, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, once again, the audience relevance, first of all, is everything. He was talking to first century Jewish people who he was offering the kingdom to. And they had a uh, mindset that was thinking that the kingdom of God was imminent because the scripture says they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. The kingdom of God was immediately about to appear because John the Baptist began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when we think about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, these terms are interchangeable. If you read it in one of the Gospels, perhaps like for Matthew, and then you read it in Luke's Gospel, it'll interchange the words Gospel of Heaven, or not Gospel of Heaven, the Kingdom of Heaven, the Kingdom of God. So it's, 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 it's a synonymous term. Yeah. But he's really talking about the rule uh, and the reign and the government of God, not just in heaven. Now, I'm not taking anything from yeah. heaven. It's just that people keep on waiting for one of these days to be able to enjoy the kingdom. And the truth of it is, is the moment you got born again, you got translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. But when John the Baptist was, was inter, in, introducing this, we did an all summer uh, message where we preached about this somewhat. Mm -hmm. But John the Baptist, his first, it starts, the gospels begin like this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, he was talking again to a first century group of people. He's offering them something that would be relevant to them. Yeah. And what it is, it was a new form of government that was coming on the scene. They were moving from an old covenant to a new covenant. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I begin to share even, let me just, let me just grab this in Malachi, the third chapter. So let me see if I can get it real quick. But in Malachi, I believe it is the third chapter, the book of Malachi is really setting us up talking about John the Baptist. But Malachi says, 
Verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. The messenger of the covenant, according to Isaiah chapter 40, John is introducing the messenger of the covenant, but the, the, the messenger that he sent before him, John said he was the forerunner. Mm-hmm. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. But he said, the Lord whom you seek would suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delighted. He shall come, saith the Lord, but who may abide the day of his coming, who shall stand when he appears? For he is like refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Uh, when he says this in Matthew 3, John the Baptist once again says, he, there's one coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Now, I used to think that the fire of the Holy Spirit there was for believers. I, I thought that was the fire of the Holy Spirit. It can be preached like that, and I can see the relevance. But what he's talking about, his fan is in his hand, and his winnowing fork, and he's going to thoroughly purge his floor. So he was talking about a fire that was going to come upon actually apostate Israel, actually in A.D. 70, that would burn up the wheat and the chaff. Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to jump into these parables too soon here because I want to do a whole series on parables. But when Jesus is teaching the parable of the sower, he said, The Son of Man sowed the good seed. He sowed the seed of the kingdom. While men slept, an enemy came, sowed tares. And he said, what are we going to do? He said, well, leave them both grow together until the harvest. And he said, then he'll send the angels, and they will gather together the wheat in the barn. They'll gather their tares and burn them with an unquenchable fire. Uh, And he began to give them the interpretation of this parable. And he said to them, the Son of Man is the one who sowed the good seed. The seed of the kingdom, you know, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked one. And the harvest is the end of the world, King James Bible says, but every other translation says the harvest is the end of the age. The end of what age? Not the end of this age. We preach that like it's somewhere out in our distant future. It was the end of that age. And his winnowing fork was in his hand. Some were going to get the Holy Ghost. The other were going to get the fire. And the winnowing fork was in his hand. He was gathering literally that wheat into the barn, and the tares were about to be burnt with an unquenchable fire because the kingdom was about to replace the law. And uh, he, he goes on to tell them that he's going to uh, purge, he shall set his refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. That's found its fulfillment. I used to think John failed at that. But actually, uh, John the Baptist was a priest who was offering, first of all, an offering that was acceptable, and that was Jesus. He was a Levitical priesthood. But secondly, the book of Peter gets a hold of that. And he says, but you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we've been called now to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness. So there was a change of priesthood. There was a change of law. There's a change of government. And Jesus, you know, was the one who came suddenly. You know, when he talked about in Peter, judgment will begin at the house of God. That's not something he's going to do out in the distant future. That's something that happened Mm -hmm. during this first century when the judgment literally came to the house of God. But what I wanted to do is just springboard off of that and say what John the Baptist was, was was everything about him is screaming, uh, it's time to transition out of this old covenant paradigm into a new covenant. You know, and one of the things I've said uh, when I'm preaching this is I know I've taken a long time to introduce it, but uh, John the Baptist was a priest. He was the son of Zechariah. He was a Levitical priest. 
And so when Jesus walks down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, and there's so much going on in this river, it's impossible to exhaust it. <laughs> but when, when Jesus steps down into that river, uh, I thought he, to fulfill all righteousness, I thought, well, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized for the remission of his sin. But I began to discover that what was really taking place, or one of the things, because there's multiple layers to this, is that John the Baptist was a priest after the order of Levi. And if you're going to inaugurate a new priesthood, you've got to wash him in water according to the book of Leviticus. So here's John the Baptist who is literally relinquishing his priesthood. See, he was also the son of Elizabeth who was part of the priestly lineage. So with priesthood on both sides, he's the heir apparent to become the high priest. But now he's about to relinquish his priesthood to another high priest after another order of Melchizedek. And so John the Baptist is inaugurating and he is washing Jesus in the water. And the book of Hebrews said without an oath he couldn't be called a priest. So he said, you are my son this day, have I begotten thee? God said that when Jesus was in the river Jordan was one of the times he said that. So there's a new priest that's arising, a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. So John is Levi and he's handing his priesthood to Melchizedek. And if there is a change of priesthood according to the book of Hebrews, there's also of necessity a change of the law. So everything is shifting here and John is saying he must increase, I must decrease. We're crossing over here at the Jordan. It's time to move into another priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And it's time to move into the government of the Holy Spirit. It's time to move into the kingdom of God. It's time to move in underneath of a king-priest ministry. And I'm sure you could jump in there and say something after all that. I I, I took up almost half the time. Go ahead and talk a little bit. Uh, You know, too, when you talk about even there was a change because of that change of, of the priesthood, that change of the law, there was also the change of the covenant. You know, we talk all the time that we're under a new covenant. Yeah. Uh, we, we, last time we were together, we were talking a little bit, too, about, uh, you know, that if you know, there's those that have left, you know, the what they call legalism, mm-hmm. but have become free under, you know, become free. And really what it is we were talking was rebel. They're really still rebelling against, against the law. law. They're still... <laughs> It's still a, a, a you're, they're still relating more to an old covenant than they are a new covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, one of the things I, I was just happened to be reading the other day, and I was just, because you know, I'm, you know, I don't always just study for what I'm going to preach. Sometimes I just read stuff to see what, what pops up. So, you know, I've been reading the book of Genesis here lately. Mm-hmm. And so I just happened to finish the, the story of Noah the other day, just reading through some stuff. And, uh, but what was funny is that from, from uh, the t- from the time of Adam until the time that that Noah got out of the ark, there was the the word covenant is never mentioned. Matter of fact, the first time the word covenant is ever mentioned is when they come up out of the ark, and God began and he and, and Noah makes the the sacrifice, and God says I'm, he smells the sweet savor of the sacrifice. Says I'm going to make covenant with with uh, mm-hmm. with Noah, and so he begins to make covenant with Noah. Well, when he makes covenant with Noah, it's in this time when the world has completely changed. Everything, you know, the, the, there was a whole shift in the world. I mean, the, the flood had destroyed and wiped out, you know, uh, the reason God, you know, caused the flood is that, you know, the, the wickedness of uh, or, or the, the flesh has corrupted itself upon the whole world is that there w- it was such a stain upon, uh, you know, the sin of, of flesh had so caused a stain upon the world that it had affected everything in the world. But he says, but that Noah found grace in the eye of the Lord. 
And so, you know, he, he begins to work with, with Noah and to create this ark that, you know, they enter into. But then when the floods come, everything changes. But when Noah exits that ark, the world is completely changed. We always say he's in a new world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it was completely different than the world he had left when he entered Absolutely. the ark. Uh, there, they were the, so you had, you had sin that w- had corrupted itself upon the earth before, before he enters the ark. When he exits the ark after the flood, the only thing left is this, this man who's found grace mm-hmm. in the eyes of the Lord. So the only thing that's left on the earth is this, the grace of God or yeah. what, you know, this, this, this person who's found grace mm-hmm. in the eyes of the Lord. And so God says, I'm going to make a covenant with him. And so he makes a covenant with, with Noah. And it begins to, that, that covenant begins to change uh, how God begins to operate. When God makes a covenant with something, God is, is bound to that. That's his word. That's his, his boundary. There's nothing that can change that because that's the word of God. It's just like when God would speak in the, in the first chapter of Genesis and say, let there be light. Nothing can change that. There's going to be light because God spoke something into existence. Mm-hmm. When God says, I'm going to make a covenant, he, he begins to speak his word of the covenant. That establishes something that you can't change. Uh, when you get to the, the covenant that he makes with Moses and with the children of Israel, it's the only covenant in the scripture that really has a requirement of, of the people that he makes it with. In Noah's day, when he makes that covenant with Noah, it required nothing of Noah. Mm-hmm. It's just that, I, you know, he says, I'm not, here's my rainbow, here's the, my promise that I'm never again going to destroy the earth in the flood, you know, and that's his covenant. Nothing can change that. Uh, when he gets to Noah's day or Moses' day, he, this covenant, they began to uh, be a part of that covenant because they'll say, "We'll do everything." Two-sided covenant. Yeah, it's a two-sided covenant. He says, "They say, you know, we're, we'll do everything you want us to do, and if if we fail, you know, let the curse be upon us and our children." Um, it's funny that whenever you get to the time that they're going to crucify Jesus and Pilate is trying to let Jesus go, one of the things they say is, "Let his blood be upon us and our children." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jesus, when Jesus is speaking and some of the things we were talking about is that uh, it, Jesus tells them in, in Matthew 24, this generation yep. will not pass. A generation is that what they were saying is let his blood be upon us and our children so that the judgment that was coming was coming because they said again. They called the ju- curses they, <laughs> on themselves again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, when you, we talk about, uh, when you get to the book of, of Revelation and he's got, you see a lamb with a little book in his hand. And it, it says that John says, you know, I wept much because nobody was, no man was found worthy to open this book, neither in heaven and earth or under the earth. And this book that he has, and, and you teach it way better than I do, but this book that he has in his hand is the book of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And it's sealed with seven seals. And the reason why nobody is found worthy to open this book is because in order for this book to be open, the covenant that he made with Moses and, and the children of Israel, that had to be first fulfilled before this could be opened. Mm-hmm. But the end of that law is, but the, reason, the only way that covenant can ever be, be fulfilled and put away is that there had to be found somebody that was righteous. Mm-hmm. But the end of the law is there is none righteous, no, not even mm-hmm. one. So that's why when you find John in, in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, he says, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book. Because in order for this book to be open, first the, the first covenant has to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the angel looks at John and says, Weep not for the line of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. And he says, And I looked and I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. And all that we know is a picture of Christ. Jesus was the lamb that was slain. He was the one that fulfilled the covenant. The, the problem is, is that if we never see the first covenant fulfilled, yep. 
We don't understand how Jesus really fulfilled that covenant. Yep. Really did uh, fulfilled everything. You know, when you talk about that, he was that he was led into the River Jordan to be baptized or to wash as a new priesthood. If you don't see him as uh, John being the last of that priesthood to see that this was the Lamb, when he would say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away yep. the sin of the world. You know, it's funny that, that John would proclaim that in the first couple chapters of the, of, of the gospel and say, here's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, yet we're still looking for sin in the world mm -hmm. rather than looking for the lamb that took it away. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're, it, it, if we don't ever see the real purpose and, and the fulfillment of what Jesus came to do, Jesus says, you know, uh, don't think that I've come to do away with law. I've come to fulfill it. And that not one jot or one tittle will ever pass from this law until all be fulfilled. And so what Jesus is coming to do is he's coming to do everything that, first off, a righteous man needs to do. He's come to be the only righteous man. Yep. And that if we identify with Christ, then we also identify with his righteousness. One of the things we were talking about in the yeah, last time right. we were together is that he is our righteousness. And that the more we identify with him, that begins to create in us the nature that causes us to be righteous. Mm -hmm. Uh, not by laws, but by a nature that's inside of us that, you know, when, when Paul would say, uh, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer? Because there's an identity that's awakening to us that that's really who we are. We can't do it. I can't sin because first of all, there was a lamb that took away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. And the more I identify with that lamb, the more I realize that my nature is not a sinner. My nature is righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And so I'm awakening to that identity. The problem is, is that we're teaching two different covenants. You know, we don't understand yep. the, we don't, well, we first, mix them. first off, a lot of times in America, because we don't really understand covenant, we understand contracts, mm -hmm. you know, and the contracts can be broken. We, we don't understand covenant. Covenant can't be broken. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you're still bound by an old covenant, you're going to live like you're under that old covenant, and you're going to weep much because nobody's found worthy to open this book. Mm -hmm. And the only way, you know, we talked about the word repentance, metanoia, the only way you're ever going to realize that there's a new book that's been opened, there's a new covenant, there's a lamb that's been found worthy to open this book, is that you begin to change your mind from your thoughts of sin and the thoughts of death to you begin to change your thoughts to the thoughts of life and you begin to put your focus, you change your mind, you change your focus to the lamb mm -hmm. and him crucified and what he's really done. Uh, one of the things that's funny to me too is, is that when uh, Jesus, before he was crucified, he brings his disciples in. He begins to wash their feet. He begins to give them uh, the communion, you know, the bread and the wine. And he says to them, you know, one of you is going to betray me. But the truth of the matter is almost all of them betrayed him. Yeah. And even though those were the 12, I look at it, I say, you know, Jesus... Jesus was a smart guy. He knew what he was doing. Like, he knows who he's chosen, you mm -hmm. know. He's not surprised even that Judas is going to be the one that's betrayed mm -hmm. him. But, you know, because he's, you know, there's been many times where they came to, to kill Jesus, and he'd walk right through the crowd, you know. And, like, he's a smart guy. He knows how to get away with this stuff, mm -hmm. you know. And, but, but when he does this, he tells them, you know, he says, uh, uh, all, you know, Peter says, you know, I, Lord, you know, I'll give you my sword. I'll go to fight with you. I'll die with you if I have to. And Jesus tells Peter, you know, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. You know, every one of them is going to do something that, that betrays him. And the reason why is because the power hasn't yet come to them. The governor of That's the new right. covenant. They don't have the, the Holy Ghost. First off, the new covenant hasn't quite been opened because it won't be sealed until his blood is shed. Yes, right. And the second thing is that whenever the... Uh, that when the new covenant comes and, and, and it's open, there's a new governor that comes. It's not governed by law. It's governed by the Holy Spirit that's in us. 
so that whenever they are, he, he is crucified, they all scatter, they all run, because there's not an understanding yet. There's many times Jesus said, there's so many things I would tell you, and I want to tell you, but you couldn't bear them yet, or you couldn't handle it yet, because mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet for them. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes, the one that would deny him three times, and the guys that had ran, and the guys that said, I can't, I can't believe until I touch him or put my hands you know, in the holes that are in his hands and his feet, or in his side, those guys that had all run from him, on the day of Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden something changed inside of them that a power began to manifest and began to arise in them mm -hmm. that they could begin to identify and begin to speak about what the covenant was like. Mm -hmm. Even at times where it sometimes would even uh, be against what they had once believed. You know, when Peter would go to the house of Cornelius, mm -hmm. it was against what he had believed yeah, at one totally time. totally diametrically opposed to what they thought they But he be. began to follow the Holy Spirit, and when he follows the Holy Spirit, it leads him to a place, and he begins to talk about Jesus in the middle of talking about it without trying to, you know, without, again, the, the sensationalism. He's just talking about Jesus. The house of Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit, and they begin, he begins to recognize it's the same Holy Spirit fell on them, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then their whole house is changed. And so, you know, when we're talking about the change of the priesthood, the change of the covenant, and we're talking about even the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what really awakens us to the identity of what covenant really is and what uh, Jesus really did. And that if, if, it's, if we're denying the power of the cross, if we're denying uh, the things that Jesus did, then, then sometimes I believe it's because we have almost begun to, we've been taught to almost deny what the Holy Spirit teaches us mm -hmm. rather than trust mm -hmm. what, what is really happening. Uh, I think that when, when, when John looked at Jesus and he began to come down that River Jordan, there was something about the presence of Jesus that even overshadowed John that he could speak with the power they did and mm -hmm. said, this is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. And that he tells Jesus, I, I don't feel like I'm even worthy to, to unloose your, your, your shoes nonetheless baptize you, but there was something in Jesus said, but it behooves us to fulfill everything all that all righteousness. Yeah, I think that's so powerful, and I, I think, again, too, there's so much going on in the river here that, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but also, you know, one of the things I see is that, you know, in Matthew 3, uh, John is standing there, and the scribes, Pharisees are coming. They're all gathered there to see this event, so it's a pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. And he, he looks up, he says, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, but, uh, you know, I, it, it joggled my mind to another moment when there was another priest in the River Jordan in the book of Joshua. Because when Joshua got ready to lead them into the promised land, now remember, Moses brought them out with a rod, but Joshua was going to bring them in with a mercy seat. But the book of Joshua, God gives Joshua the strategy. He said, when you see a priest carry the chest of the covenant of the Lord in the River Jordan, you're going to know it's time to cross over. And so when they got ready to cross over, he tells, you know, uh, Joshua, he says, tell, or Joshua tells him, take 12 men, tell them to get a stone from the bottom of the river and bring it to the other side, pile it up on a pile, and stack it there for memorial. Because one day your children are going to ask you, what does this pile of rocks mean? And you're going to tell them it was a memorial to show that the Lord of all the earth carried the chest of the covenant of the Lord into the River Jordan. It was time to cross over. Yep. And it's not an accident 
that, uh, you know, Joshua says, when you see a priest carrying this ark in the River Jordan, you're going to know it's time to cross over. Well, here we are now. Now, that's what happened under Joshua. Remember, Moses, Old Covenant. Joshua, Yeshua, same name as Jesus. So now you've got uh, Joshua, he's getting ready to bring them into their promised land. In the New Covenant, the promised land is not a piece of real estate. Hebrews 4, it's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So here you've got John the Baptist, who is a Levitical priest. And he's about to carry the ark, Jesus, the chest of the covenant, the new covenant, into the River Jordan. And at that moment, I submit to the people watching us that it's highly possible. I can't prove this historically yet, but I think it highly possible that when he pointed up over, up over the River Jordan and said, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham, he was pointing at that pile of rocks that they'd stacked up there when Joshua crossed over because he said, one day your children are going to ask you, what does this pile of rocks mean? And you're going to tell them it was a memorial to tell you that when you see a priest carry an ark in the River Jordan, you're going to know it's time to cross over. Here we got John the Baptist carrying Jesus, the real ark, in the River Jordan at possibly the exact same location. And it should have said to every one of these scribes, Pharisees, it's time to cross over. But this time we're not crossing over a physical Jordan. We're crossing over out of an old covenant bondage of Egypt. And I shared the last segment how Egypt was a type of uh, you know, not just worldly bondage, but religious bondage. Go back and view that on YouTube if you want to. It's archived there. But they were coming over out of a different kind of a bondage. And they're crossing over the Jordan at that same location because you've got a priest with the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, Jesus was the chest of the covenant. He was with the place where the... And matter of fact, even when you mentioned about Noah a while ago, uh, God said, I'm going to make my covenant with you. It is interesting to me that whenever they come up out of the water, just like Jesus is coming mm -hmm. up out of the water, the Ark emerges on a mountain called Ararat. Ararat means the curse is reversed. And, and it's on that mountain uh, that they come up out of the water, and there's a, two birds that fly out of the ark. One flies all the way through the Scriptures and lands in the book of Revelation where Babylon has become the hold of every foul spirit, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. But the dove only has to fly to the book of Matthew where it finds Jesus coming up out of the river Jordan, who is the real ark. And when the dove lands on Jesus, he was saying to John the Baptist, right here's the new world, right here's where the covenant's at, here's the olive branch, here is where the curse is reversed. Yep. Now that to me is, I mean, everything about this Matthew 3 is screaming, it's time to cross over. And that was 2,000 years ago, and here we are now 2,000 years into the new covenant, and at best we're still a mixture. I'm telling you, this thing was screaming to them, the kingdom's at hand. If you will change the way you think, if you repent, the kingdom's at hand. Listen, folks, the kingdom's not off in our distant future. It is one mind shift away. It is simply there for a shift in our paradigm thinking. I have no idea why we struggle so hard to get the church to receive a new covenant based on the grace of God and the righteousness of God governed by the Holy Spirit. Yep. We are just about to run out of time. If you enjoy what we're saying and you'd like to become part of what we're doing, we sure could use your help. We could use your partnership. Uh, if you would call that number on the screen or go to the website or send your letter uh, with your most generous gift you could possibly give, it sure helps us to take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of grace, 
around the world. We are catching on. Nations of the earth are calling us. We've been to Peru, Brazil. We're getting ready to go to the Netherlands. And all over the world, doors are open. But we need your partnership to help us to continue to do this. And if you've missed any of the programs, you can also go to our YouTube channel or our website. There's a link to that and watch us there at any time. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in again next week. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.